right, let's read all of Romans 12. Um, what's beautiful about this is we get to uh, kind of see the rhythm and of what Paul um, is writing to the Roman church. So um, let's read together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, um, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For in for as in one body we may have me- many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay in no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with one another. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For it is by doing you will you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. So we continue our sermon series uh, that we started last week on Mother Tongue. Uh, this is the language that we speak. This is we are learning about who we are as a church, and we're learning a language. We're learning how to speak, what words to use, how to say them, how to use them. Uh, this is important, especially as we're, we're infants as a church, uh, and we're growing to understand who we are and how we invite people to the table as well. Last week, we talked about our vision. Our vision is providing a place at the table of God's grace. This is our purpose. This is why we exist. The question is, what language are we learning? This is the language of the church, and that's the language of prayer. Prayer runs through everything that we do. Prayer is the foundation. And so that's what we're going to be learning this morning. It's, it's going to be a little bit of a back and forth as we talk about what this language is about. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, 
they gave him he gave them words a language in which to navigate the world in light of who god is god for them to know god as father we call this the lord's prayer and the church then becomes prayer outposts navigating this world with the language of heaven so we see god as father we understand who he is we understand who we are in light of that and how we live in this world as well and so we are to be living communities of the lord's prayer enacting that line on earth as it is in heaven this is what it means to embody the mission of the church so what is the mission Mission is our how to our why. So our vision is why we exist. The mission is how we embody that and what we do, what we hope to accomplish with our vision. Our mission is to invite people into a relationship with Christ and form a community that worships and serves together for the transformation of Denver, for the transformation of the city, for the transformation of our neighborhoods. When we see the local, the, the incredibly local uh, communal part of where we live being transformed, we will begin to see the whole of the city transformed as well. Let me say the mission again. It's really long. So there's a lot of words here. Our mission is to invite people into a relationship with Christ and form a community that worships and serves together for the transformation of Denver. Prayer is the baseline of how this happens. We begin with prayer. We end with prayer. There are three specific aspects of both our mission and of prayer. Worship, relationship, and service. These are really simple, These, but I think they encompass all of who we are as well as all of who we want to be as well. So we're going to look at each of these this morning, worship, relationship, and service. Nick, thank you reading Romans 12 for me so I can get up and my nose can settle and I can feel the allergies coming on a little bit this morning. But we're jumping into the very middle of Romans, like almost towards the end, which is kind of like jumping into like the last season of like one of those epic shows like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or something where like you you get into the last season and there's so many questions. So a little bit of context. <laughs> Paul starts out by saying, therefore. So there's a ton of stuff that has gone before this, right? 11 chapters. I'm going to sum it up as this. You've accepted the invitation to the great feast of heaven. You found your place at the table, who you are in Christ. You've placed your faith in him and in his resurrection life that he gives you. So now how are you going to live? What does it look like to embody, to, to know that this invitation here exists and that you can experience it now? How do I live this resurrection life? Worship, relationship, service. Worship is quite simply the first two verses here. If you want to look at those with me again, it's that first paragraph. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, but that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul calls us living sacrifices and that our bodies would be used in this living out of this faith. There's a materiality of, of who we are. It's not just this, this head knowledge that we uh, have. It's not just this, this gnosis that we hold on to, but we are to live this out. 
this is different than the sacrificial system that the majority of uh, the anyone of faith in the in the ancient Near East would have would have uh, known. Uh, sacrifices were dead animals on an altar, but here Paul is turning this and saying, "No, now you are a sacrifice. You are a living act of worship. This is your whole lives. It's not just." confined to an hour or two on a Sunday morning or a Bible study, but your whole life becomes this sacrificial worship that you have, living, breathing, everyday, ordinary lives encompasses all of our worship. Our lives kind of put off the aroma of heaven as we go through them. He says, now the difference is being conformed to this world versus being transformed in our minds. Being conformed is an outward pressure shaping us and molding us from the outside, whereas transformed is being renewed from the inside out. It's being shaped and groaned. Uh, gr- groaned. <laughs> uh, it's being gr- grown through us, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Words. Uh, the... <laughs> Sure. Developed. Yes. It's being cultivated. There we go. Cultivated. Uh, the world it, that the word here that's used for world is actually age. It's a designation of time. This is a very interesting thing that 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 Paul would use this word. But I think it rings true because the world and its values change all the time. Like the show The Office, it's like super popular. It shows up on my social media feed all the time. I love watching the old clips of it. But there's also the talk like they wouldn't be able to produce that show anymore like these days. The world that they produced it in the early uh, 10s and teens just is it's different. We're way more sensitive to all the issues that they bring up in that show. Our values in this world has changed well, the values of God has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cares. What he cares about has been tried and true, and it's established. This transformation happens to us, and it happens in our minds, which I think is very interesting, because I don't think of our, our minds as being, we're, we're not just a knowledge, faith, but we live it out. But it allows us to see differently, right? It allows us to understand the world that we go through and how God has grows in us this ability to discern, as he says, what is good, what is pleasing, and what is perfect. Like our life as a church is grounded in our worship. It flows, uh, everything flows from it. Our life that we have in God through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We find our lives in God. And this transformation takes place in worship rather than being conformed to the world and its pressures around us. Social media feeds uh, run on algorithms, and there's been a lot of talk about the algorithms now. Like everyone's listening into us and what we read, what we listen to, what we talk about. And suddenly we're being, you know, we mention a Florida vacation that a friend is taking. Suddenly we're being advertised Florida vacations and we're like, oh, I want to go to that, right? We uh, are given more of what we look at or in what, what the algorithms figure out we are interested in. Whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Google, whatever, we see, we consume. And, whatever, and we become whatever we consume, whatever we focus our attention on, whatever we see most in our feeds and through our lives is what we want to become and ultimately what we become. Our brains like these patterns. Once we hear of something, 
and we go about the rest of our day and rest of our lives, our brain begins to look for these things. We're buying a new car and suddenly we see car commercials all, all the time. We begin to notice all the, the temporary plates out there as well as what car interests us. Ooh, I like that one. I don't like that one. That color's great. That doesn't work for us. Our brains recognize these patterns. Worship forms patterns in our lives, in our brains. Worship transforms our algorithms so that we begin to see what God is doing in our lives and in the world around us. And we need this regular reminder, weekly, daily reminders of what it means to be transformed into living sacrifices and to present our lives as spiritual acts of worship. Worship transforms our lives. It transforms our prayers. We have a a very set worship. We call it a liturgy here. Um, It is rather ancient. It's been around for a long time. A lot of churches don't do it anymore, and that's fine. There's been a lot of conversation on what worship looks like and how that does. But what we want to do is to form you, to give you habits, not only for Sunday morning, but how you go out and through the rest of your life. So you're called to worship. We pray. We sing songs. We confess our sins. We pray the Psalms and we pray for the world. We read scripture and we explain it. We teach it. We eat a meal together and then we pray the Lord's Prayer and we confess our uh, our faith in that as well. And then we are sent. We are given a benediction, a blessing to go out. Each of those practices, those things can be used throughout your devotional life in the rest of your week, but they can also be used in your everyday ordinary life as well. We can uh, be summoned to worship uh, through our words, or we can help do that with someone else. We can pray for people. We can pray the Psalms when we are angry and don't know what to pray for. Instead of cursing other people, we can bless them or we can give our anger to God and say no, as later Paul writes, that vengeance is his and not ours. So we have all these practices. We eat a meal. We eat three meals a day, typically, right? Some of us eat more. Some of us eat less. But to be able to share a meal with someone else is to be able to share our lives with them. Each of these things are little practices that we can do, habits that form us, form our rhythms of life to be able to take out into the rest of the world. Eric Peterson says, We are simply more alert to the prevailing rhythms of redemption. Through weekly worship, we are establishing patterns which become holy habits. We are training our brains and sensitizing our souls to be on the lookout for the sacred. This is what worship is. This is what prayer does in our lives. The very important part of worship, though, is the corporate nature of it, to gather together with other Christians and believers as well. God never just calls individuals to himself. He call always is about forming a people for himself relationships. Look at verses 3 through 8. It starts at, for the by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, 
and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is such a beautiful relationship, uh, beautiful picture of who we are in Christ. We don't have to live our lives on our own. Like there are other people that we can be in community with. And especially when faith is difficult, when we begin to live in a world that's a little more antagonistic towards Christians, um, we are able to have other people to gather with and to be able to, um, to uplift one another. Paul uses this word humility. Humility is when we are moved from the center of our worlds. We begin to see other people in need and what is going on in their life around them as well. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, of debasing ourselves, but it's actually thinking of ourselves less. Does that make sense? It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's just thinking of ourselves less. So we focus on the needs of the other people around us, the relationships that we have in Christ. Paul says that we are individually members of one another. We are interconnected in our relationships in Christ that form us into one body with many parts. So we are one body. We each have a function. We've each been given gifts. And the, there's a turn of phrase here that I love. He uses it at the very beginning uh, in, in verse 3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone. And then he brings it up again. And he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. It's the lives that we have been that we have lived and through which God has given us grace, no matter what has happened in our lives, that then we are entrusted and gifted to be able to serve one another. So we don't serve out of things that we haven't experienced, but we serve out of the grace that has been given to us. And the grace isn't just for us. The grace is for us as a community. It's not just for us individually. It's for all of us to be able to share. Because sometimes we go through lives our lives, and it's just hard to know what God's grace is, what he is doing. It, we are blinded by uh, the circumstances. We are blinded by what's going on in our lives, the challenges, the difficulties, the anxieties that we face. But then we have other people that are able to share the gift of grace that God has given them so that we can have it as well. These Gifts are many. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but Paul lists, uh, let's count real quick, I forgot to count, uh, seven-ish, eight, somewhere in there. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing to the needs of the saints, being generous, having leadership, showing mercy. Each of these show up as we live our lives with one another, uh, to be able to encourage one another, to be able to, to pass on how God has spoken to you, to be able to speak those words into somebody else's life, to be able to serve, to be able to teach. Teaching was incredibly important in the early church as it is today. 
to be able to encourage, to be able to give heart to one another. That's the literal meaning of encouraging. It's not, I heard uh, a conversation on a plane one time and a woman was talking to another one and she said, well, I would encourage you to do this, this, and this. And it was actually much more instructive and exhortative than uh, actually encouraging, but to enliven the faith that is in each other. That's what encouraging is to contribute to the needs that some people are just able to see the needs that other people have in their lives and they're able to meet them, to be leadership, to go ahead of people, to show mercy again, to be able to um, remind people of the, of God's grace in their lives. Again, we are a body. We are many parts and we come together as the body of Christ. Whether you're a hand, you're a foot or a mouth, you're incredibly important. If your body ha- is missing any of these parts, you function less. And if you are severed from the body, then you really don't have any function. A finger not attached to the body can't do anything by itself. You can't remove yourself from the body, and you can't be removed from the body of Christ. If your faith is in Jesus, you are a part. You are an essential part to this body, both locally and uh, um, universally as well. You are a part of the body of Christ. I think it's very in vogue to meet God outside, to not go to church. I don't have use for that anymore. I can experience God through substances or walking out there. That is my spiritual act of worship, is what a lot of people say. And I don't disagree. You can meet God very much so in the mountains. Uh, Whenever I get back above like 8,000 feet going over that first pass into the mountains, it just, it's like this breath of fresh air to be able to experience the creation that God has made. And as wonderful as they are, though, we are not called to worship the created things. We are called to worship the God who created them. And being together in corporate worship, as I said, we are able to be the tangible grace for one another. We have flesh and bones that we can share God's grace with one another. And so God calls us to come and to set aside time in our week, in our lives, to be able to worship with one another. The church should be, though it's not always, a place where we can lay down our facades, where we are no longer perfect. We can set aside um, kind of the, the image that we want to give to one another, that we want to show one another, and we can show up with our needs. We can show up with our hearts. We can show up with our, our, um, our heartache. We can show up with the desires that are not being met, and we can ask God to meet them here. We can be honest about who we are, the deep need of God's grace in our lives. And as a body, we can come together to hopefully be that grace in the people's lives as well, in each other's lives. So I encourage you to pray. Pray that God would reveal the gift of grace that he has given to you and to ask him how he can use that in the lives of one another. We need you here at the table and we, you need us as well. We don't have to be we don't have to be Americans, man. We don't have to be like having it all together and be like these these individual like silos out there. We can have need of one another. God says that's okay. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Not only that though, we serve one another. Service 9 through 21. 
Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's two aspects of service here. The internal and the external. Paul kind of prioritizes the internal aspect of that. That's us being the family of God to one another. Paul uses this word um, family. He says that we become brothers and sisters with one another. We are not just a body, but we are a family. The word he uses here in brotherly affection is philostorgos. It's the love that we have within a family. And so we, we love one another. We hate evil that happens to one another, and we hate when evil happens from one another. When our brothers and sisters in Christ are acting out evilly, we kindly, lovingly let them know brotherly affection to, to hate that because that's not who we should be. We have zeal for it. We're not to be lazy in this, and it's the result of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling amongst us that we are able to go to one another. We are patient when affliction comes. We are constant in prayer, and in doing so, we begin to see the opportunities that arise to be able to help one another, to be able to serve one another, to be able to love one another and meet their needs. The other aspect of service is the external. And Paul uses the word hospitality. If you've heard me talk at length more than a couple minutes at any time, I love the word hospitality. He contrasts this philostorgos of this familial love with philozenia, which is the brotherly love of a stranger. So it's an external pointing to it, but one that wants to bring people into the family of Christ as well. We bless them and not persecute them, or, and we bless them when they persecute them, when they persecute us, excuse me. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We live in harmony as much as we are able to. I love how real Paul is in that. Hey, it doesn't always, can't always depend on you, but as much as you are able, live in harmony. Be peaceful with those. Feed your enemy. Give drink to your enemy. This is incredibly difficult because the world tells us that, no, vengeance is yours. You take it. You enact a pound of flesh for every ounce of flesh that is taken from you. This is not easy. This is intentional. 
This is voluntary. This is sacrificial, as we talked about last week. One commentator says, Christian hospitality must inconvenience us more than that of the world. We do not choose the time of our guests. This cuts across all grains of of society. Cancel culture, huge right now, right? This is the age that we live in. If you hurt me, you're done. If you screwed up 20 years ago and we find out about it now, you're over. If you made the mistakes you made when you're in your 20s or your teens, you can't outlive those. You are done. There is no forgiveness. There is no grace. There is no mercy. This is the cultural climate that we live in to seek revenge, not to seek to bless but the gospel compels us otherwise. There is no culture, cancel culture when Jesus dies for his enemies, and that's the dominant narr- narrative of our community. Jesus was the light of the world who came down to shine into dark places. Darkness doesn't overcome darkness. Only light overcomes darkness, and light cannot be overcome by darkness. So instead of seeking revenge, seeking evil, repaying evil with evil, we'd repay evil with good. That's the only way we're going to overcome it. That's the only way we're going to be able to be the children of light and to show hospitality into the world around us. This light that we have been given in Christ shines when we love one another and when we love the world around us. Not in grasps of power, not, uh, but in light shining in the dark places. And Paul tells us to seek. Don't be lazy about it. Have zeal. Look for opportunities. And in praying, that's when we begin to see the patterns of opportunities around us. It opens our eyes to what God is doing in the world. We can begin to see on earth as it is in heaven. God opens our eyes to the work that he is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we want to enact revenge, we can pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, vengeance is yours. Help me to know that. Remind me of that. But we have to do that. We have to be constant in it. We have to be trained in it. We have to come and worship. We have to be together in relationships with one another so that we can encourage each of us to be on the lookout for what God is doing in our lives. This is sacrifice. This is sacrificial. There's something in how God has designed the world that needs sacrifice to be able to transform it. We are being transformed through our worship into little Christ in our place. That's what Christian means, little Christ. And so that we don't have, we know that we don't have to do it alone and we have one another, that the world can be transformed, our homes, our neighborhoods, our cities, that God's kingdom can come and God's will can be born on earth as it is in heaven. There's a prayer that Jesus prays at the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if there's another way, God, let's do that. If I don't have to go to the cross to save the world, to deliver it from the power of sin, of evil, let's do that. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus became the sacrifice. He became the pattern that we are to live out in the world. He offers himself as a sacrifice because we fail to worship 
He is our worship. He offered himself as a sacrifice because when we run from our family in Christ as our brother, he runs after us. When we are unwilling to love one another in the world, Jesus is our sacrifice. And we can look to him who went to the cross to bear our sins, to love us into this family and show the world how much he loves it. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that um, that you sent Jesus to love us, that um, we can see uh, your grace and mercy when we don't want to uh, see it, when we don't want to share it, when we want to hoard the grace for ourselves, Lord. Thank you for continuing to pour out grace in our lives. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that you are readily available in prayer. Thank you that we can come to you as our Father and know that we have a family in Christ so that we don't have to do this life alone, but that we have others to walk through with us, Lord. Give us grace. Give us mercy through the power of the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen.